their cortisol levels, cholesterol levels, blood pressure levels, everything normalizes. And when that happens, the fat, it's like evaporating snow. It just essentially, it just goes away. But the benefit is you're never hungry. You don't have cravings. Your mental clarity goes through the roof. Your energy goes through the roof. And the body's like, hey, finally, I'm not starving. I can come out of my lockdown mode, my starvation mode, and start burning fat like I was designed to. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. As we enter the last month of 2020, I've been reflecting a lot on my first year as a mama and how much life has changed. Now, my word for this year was surrender. And let me tell you, did I ever? I mean, how do you simply not surrender into motherhood? Now, this year has been devoted to not only being a mama to Kingston and creating a healthy body, but also to focus on how to create more energy so that I have boundless energy for Kingston for many years to come. Now, even though I'm 42, I want my body to operate like it's still in my 30s. So I dig into my why for being healthy and having more energy. My family is at the top of my list, and I'm feeling that that may be the case for you too. Now, one of the biggest principles for overall health, longevity, and sustainable energy is becoming metabolically flexible, which means being able to switch in and out of sugar burning and fat burning mode. Now, this flexibility becomes very critical as women enter into the 30s and beyond, not only for cellular energy, which is so, so critical for us to do the good work in the world that we want to do, but also for our organs to function, like our bones, our muscles, our brain, right? Our cardiovascular system, all of this is critically dependent upon metabolic flexibility. We all need to have metabolic flexibility for our brain to word recall and remember what we actually walked into the room for. We also need metabolic flexibility to maintain thermogenic states. So what does that mean? And how do we actually do it? Well, that's what today's conversation with Stu Schaefer is all about. Stu and I agree on almost everything when it comes to boosting metabolic flexibility and getting you into a fat burning mode, aka that thermogenic state. Now, Stu is also going to share and disclose the three biggest food mistakes that many of us make and are making that causes fatigue, weight gain, even anxiety. Now, before we dive in, I want to quickly share a little bit about Stu. Stu Schaefer is a 20-year award-winning weight loss coach. He specializes in helping people reset their bodies so they can lose weight like they did in their 20s. Stu struggled with anorexia in his teens. When he became overcome with his eating disorder, he realized that he needed to help people so that people didn't suffer the way that he suffered. And that is why he does the work that he does in the world. Stu has helped thousands of people transform their body and empower themselves to create massive success in their life. His mission is to empower people through transformation so that they can use their success to create a life worth living. Let's bring Stu onto the show. Hey, one more thing. I want to share something that I've been consistently using for my energy levels this year. See, as a new mama, I am always on the lookout for effective and easy ways to boost my energy, especially my mental energy. And this year, I added Organifi's green juice to my morning routine, and I love it. Their organic green juice is made with 11 superfoods, and it's easy to make, and it tastes amazing. And luckily, Organifi has given me a promo code to share with you so that you can add it to your morning ritual. 
Use promo code Dr. Marisa, D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A, and get 15% off of your order at Organifi.com slash Dr. Marisa. Now, I'm going to have the link in the show notes for this episode, and I can't wait for you to try it. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Stu Schaefer. How are you doing today? I am so amazing, and I just am so excited to be chatting with you. This is like, (laughs) I'm off the charts right now. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm super stoked to have this conversation too, because this is what my ladies, my community want to know about. Now we're going to go deeper into the topic, but I love this concept of three food mistakes that basically the majority of us are making that not only cause fatigue, like low energy, weight gain, brain fog, but even anxiety. And I know that oftentimes we don't really associate our what we eat and how how we eat affects our brain. And so I know we're going to get into that as well. But before we do, and also I just want to give you a heads up, Stu, we're going to be doing a quick fire at the end. You're my second interviewee that I'm doing the quick fire with. I was super stoked about it. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Probably should have told you before the show started. <laughs> I'm ready. You can fire anything at <laughs> okay, me and great. I'm ready. Awesome. We were talking before we got started and you have been on this journey since you were 18 years old. Tell me, what was the motivation for you when the rest of us were eating Cheetos? Okay, well, it actually started before we were, I was 18. I didn't tell you this, but when I was 13, I got arrested for breaking into a friend's house and his dad pressed charges. And I ended up going to jail and think my world as a 13-year-old was turned upside down. You could probably imagine. And so as a result... I developed a, a just a terrible self-image, low self-esteem, and I became anorexic. And uh, I battled with anorexia for two years. And there were days where I would eat an apple. And that was it all day. I mean, it was just insane. And I was just sad and depressed all the time. And fortunately, back then, you know, now kind of suicide is kind of glamorous. It wasn't back then and cutting wasn't around and any, none of these things were around. So I did, I was anorexic. That's how I inflicted pain. And it wasn't until I, I finally had this breakdown, this mental breakdown. I was crying. I was just, just bawling. And, um, I stumbled onto a a health program that I decided to do and I committed to do it for 90 days And the first 30 days, I had anxiety all day long, every single day, because I would get anxiety every time I ate, because I thought I was going to get fat. And I was eating all day long. But I I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And finally, at the end of the 30 days, I kind of believed and proved to myself that, okay, I'm not going to get fat. This is okay. And I pulled myself out. I say, you know, obviously, God had something to do with it. It wasn't just me. (laughs) But that was the moment I was 15 at that time that I had decided to become a health coach because I knew what it was like to hate your body. I knew what it was like to have this warped self-image and how I knew what it was like to know what's beyond that point and how transformative and how life-changing that can be. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing. And Gosh, I know it's so crazy how we can have something so kind of traumatizing and crazy happen to us, turn into, have that silver lining where it turns into our our mission. And so I'm so grateful for you to share it. So you decided to be become a coach at such a young age. I love it. And when was it like, as you began to really serve people and began to coach people through 
getting their bodies healthy, focusing on a healthy metabolism. When did the shift to focus happen for kind of supporting women that I support, women in their 30s, 40s, 50s? It was one woman in particular, her name's Ashley. This was in 2009. And I was sit. I remember clearly, actually, I was sitting in my office. I just finished eating lunch and there was kind of a knock on the door. I was in the gym I was working at at the time on the workout floor. And this woman came in, her name's Ashley. And she was telling me how she tried everything and she's been trying for six years to lose weight. Nothing worked. And I was a little arrogant at the time. And I said, I can help you. No problem. You know, we just have those in our youth. We're like that. And so she, I gave her the whole spiel. She signed up with me and we started working out. Well, I tried everything and nothing was working. We tried keto. We tried paleo. We tried fasting. We tried, it was, it wasn't actually keto at the time. It was uh, Adkins. And we tried more exercise, calorie counting. I mean, everything that I had been taught in the personal trainer course and everything that most people know about. We tried it and nothing was working. So I was like literally on the verge of just giving up the profession because I had, it was rocked my confidence so bad and she was just devastated. So I, I made a promise. I said, Ashley, I will work with you for free until we get this figured out. I know I can figure this out. And so I started doing all this research and I figured out that there is something called a thermogenic state that you can put the body in. And when you put your body in the thermogenic state, it starts burning fat constantly. It preserves your muscle. And so you lose weight really quick and you tone up. Well, the first week I said, okay, Ashley, I, based on what I've reached, I think I almost certain this is going to work. We've got to start eating more and I need you to start working out less. And she said, no way. There's no way I'm doing that. I will gain weight. I said, no, you just got to trust me on this. So the first week she did it, she lost two pounds, but she wasn't excited because that had happened before. She would lose like three to five. Yeah, she could lose two pounds, you know, in a couple of days. Yeah, and then she'd lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it. So, but then two weeks later, another two pounds. And then a week later, another two and another two and another two. And after 12 weeks, she had ended up losing 32 pounds. And she looked at me like, how is this possible? Why did this work? And I was trying to explain, look, you got to eat more and you got to work out less. You got to work out. It's, it's like a prescription. Okay. If a doctor gives you a prescription, if you don't take enough, it's not going to do anything. But if you take too much, I mean, you die. It's, it's just very strange. So, so that's when I figured this thing out. And then I started using it with all my clients and I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is not what they teach in training school. You know, this is not in the books. And all my clients started losing weight like faster than they had ever before. But the best part was it was they were losing body fat. They weren't just losing weight. They were losing all body fat. They were just burning body fat nonstop. It was absolutely incredible. So that was in 2009. And since then, I've just been perfecting everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have a couple questions. I know I have some allotted questions, but a couple questions. When you say eating more and working out less, I would love a little bit more of a breakdown because I take it eating more doesn't mean eating McDonald's. 
Oh, I can break it down for you. I bet you could. <laughs> this was in 2009 that you figured it out. So it's a little while ago. Yeah. So let me talk about the food because this ties into what we had initially discussed, which is the three mistakes that virtually every woman is making that's causing the fatigue, the weight gain, in some cases, low energy and, and mental fog and stuff like that. Yes. And we're talking about women where you start to see some of this breakdown is usually late 30s, 40s, 50s. Like we could get away with stuff in our 20s and then it all kind of hits the fan. Most of the time. But recently I've seen more women in their late 20s that are starting to deal with this than I ever have. And I've been doing this for about 20 years now. So really there's something I've developed is called a food quadrant. Okay. I've never seen anybody else talk about this. It's the diet industry doesn't talk about this. And this is what makes it an unfair fight for most people when they try to lose weight. If you were to look on, let's say you drove a big quadrant, so in a, a big plus sign in essence, okay? And on the left side, you have two columns or two rows. The top left square or quadrant, you have what to eat. The bottom left quadrant, you have how much to eat, okay? That's where 99.9% of diets start and stop, okay? Now, if those are the only two variables that you're dealing with, you don't have many options, Okay, you can either eat more or eat less. Okay, and most people, they restrict calories. Or you can choose what to eat and say, okay, well, I can only eat, you know, chicken and broccoli. And, and most people don't like that either. But if you expand to the other side of this quadrant, you have on the top right, when you eat certain foods during the day and when not to. And on the bottom right, you have how you combine certain foods at each meal. When you add those two, it opens up the floodgates. You, you can then eat way more food, way more variety of foods, way more often. And if you get all these four pieces together, it literally forces the body to burn fat like a furnace and you go thermogenic. Awesome. Okay. All right. So quadrant, we got one quadrant where clearly calorie restriction or not, and then what to eat, like what foods to eat and not to eat. And then on the other side, we have, we have a food window, food eating window, potentially. It's not because a window. This is because it's not like fasting. What it is, is there's certain foods that you want to eat at certain times of the day, but not others. Got it. Got it. Okay, perfect. And then a combination of foods. Yeah. It's what foods should you eat together at each meal? And when you combine the right foods, you can get away with a lot of, you can get away with a lot. Okay. Well for weight gain, but could you get away with it regarding gut health and inflammation is what I'm also curious about. Absolutely. Because that, of course, when you look at gut health and inflammation, you're looking at what to eat. All right. Because certain people for gut health and inflammation should not eat certain foods. All right, there are certain people that have food sensitivities. There are certain foods that are generally high risk, like gluten and dairy. Okay, so that would fall into the first quadrant, which is what to eat. But my point is, you're not restricted to say, okay, well, if I want to lose weight, I can only eat vegetables or I can only eat a grilled chicken breast and broccoli all day long. You have a lot more variety and a lot more leeway within the parameters of what's acceptable for you. 
what you're talking about, gut health, different things, food sensitivities, food allergies, those types of things. Got it. Perfect. Okay. So somebody who, so Mike, myself, I have an autoimmune condition, so I have to be really mindful. And even when I start to creep those things in, I also notice, like my, my baby, my son, because I breastfeed my son that if like, let's say for eggs, for example, like occasionally I'll have eggs and it'll show up on my son's skin. So like, there's just certain foods that are no go for me. Can I still work this? Oh my gosh. See, this is the beauty of the system that I found is you would in essence, like, and I don't want to do any marketing here, but if someone was working with me, let's say they get a food list of like a hundred different foods in different categories. And then they just pick whatever foods that they can have from each category. And the whole idea is they get a framework that gives them the, the structure, but it's flexible enough to fit them. And over the years, what I'll do is I'll rate foods from, from best to worst. And I'll give you an example. Within the carbohydrate realm, the, the best foods are gluten-free and oftentimes non-grain, okay? So like could be a sweet potato or, or a, a, a bean, certain types of beans would be better. And then we gradually go down the list as to what's going to affect the body the best. Okay, what's gluten-free? Things like maybe some corn products. And if you can get non-GMO, it's usually okay. Uh, maybe some things like wild rice or brown rice that are gluten-free, but now we're getting into the grain category, as you can see. And then it goes all the way down through different fruits. So if someone wants to have gluten and they're fine and their body responds okay and they're cool with it and, and it, it, you know, they're one of the <laughs> one Two out people of in this or, planet. <laughs> Then, then, then they have options. They can eat toast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they can't do gluten, they got options. If they can't do legumes, they got options. And it's the same with proteins, you know, chicken, fish, red meats, different kinds of uh, other products, whether it's bone broth or whey, or it depends on the person, but that's the, any program, anything that's going to be worthwhile is going to be flexible based on the person. Perfect. Okay. So Stu, let's talk a little bit about, I want to talk about, I want to be in the, the right side quadrant for just a moment, if <laughs> okay. you don't mind. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So let's say we are, let's say we're doing breakfast. So when we're talking about like what foods are thermogenically approved for breakfast. Now I'm going to assume that your listeners are not eating gluten or dairy. And sugar. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. Sugar is generally not on most weight loss. I was going to say, is it on any list? <laughs> you know, I don't have pixie sticks on the program. <laughs> no. Okay, but oh, there, no but, you know, but I do work with people, and this is the key. Okay, and you know this is I've never met a person who's perfect, and I like to teach them if you're going to cheat, how to do it, so that it doesn't derail you. And there's ways of doing that. I want to hear about how to cheat, but first, the first question. Yes. Yeah. Let me, let me answer the question. So breakfast. Okay. So I would say if you're not doing eggs or egg whites, that would be one option. But if someone's like you that are like, well, I can't do that. What I would probably do is I'd first say, okay, well, I know I'm going to have a carbohydrate and it's probably going to be a fruit because it's early in the morning. And that's one of the better times to have fruit. Right. Because we are more insulin resistant later in the evening. Exactly. 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 Plus, as you go later in the day, your body is winding down to go in a sleep cycle. So you don't really want to put much carbohydrates in the body. That's one of the three mistakes that most people make is they eat a very carb rich dinner 
and their body's slowing down. So it stores it as fat because it, it literally has nothing else to do with it. So that would be like number one mistake. Okay. But breakfast. So we have a fruit. If possible, I would include some sort of a vegetable. And it could be that you're having something where you can mix in some tomatoes or some mushrooms or some peppers or something. It could be an egg white omelet if you're not allergic to eggs. If you are allergic to eggs, maybe you go the route where you're having something like a, a poultry option or a lean red meat option. Probably most people wouldn't want fish in the morning unless they're doing something like lox, you know, or something like that. But I eat generally seven meals a day and I, we can go into why if you want to. Yes, because it's I'm, I'm a big three meal magic person. I don't recommend snacks because I love the mitochondria to have a little bit of a break for me personally. Yeah, there's a little I had, you know, through other research has done it a little different and it, it works for a lot of people. It works for me, especially. So I'll even in the morning, I will have something like some lean turkey, chicken breasts or something. And if you cook it right and you season it well, it can really be breakfasty. And if you're mixing it with fruit, that's fine too. Or forget breakfast, right? I mean, like we can, can we let go of breakfast? I mean, I just meant like someone wants substrates, fuel-based sources for breakfast. For instance, I had a lamb burger for breakfast today and a salad. Yeah. I mean, if someone's not, you know, here's the other thing I deal with. One of the bigger mistakes that I see people making is they skip breakfast. And a lot of people who do, are doing the intermittent fasting are actually slowing down their body and they leave, they save all their meals for the very end of the day when the body, you know, doesn't have a lot more time to burn. So they kind of get it backwards, but a lot of people, they do that because they don't have much of an appetite in the morning. And that's often because they're slowing down their metabolism and they're just not burning much. So it makes it really difficult for them to burn fat. If that's the case, then I would recommend some sort of a smoothie where you're adding a source of protein, whether it's whey and you can handle the whey or it's bone broth or it's a, uh, a combined veggie source, like a, a pea hemp kind of combination protein, a fruit smoothie with that protein added would be a great first meal because if you're not that hungry, it digests well, you're putting the nutrients into the body and you're off to a, a quick start. Mm. And I, I didn't hear anything about fats. So generally in my experience, if you're doing things right, the fats will take care of themselves. Most people don't need to add fats overtly. We're already getting more than I think we think we're getting. Okay. So no, like adding a quarter of an avocado in the smoothie or, you know, you could probably get away with a teaspoon of flaxseed oil or something like that. If you're really worried about it, you'd have to check what your protein source includes because some already has natural fats in it and there's no reason to add them. A lot of shakes these days, unbeknownst to people are putting fats in them because the ketogenic diet is so popular. And so uh, uh, in my experience working with clients, they're adding fats. And then when we look at it at the end of the day, they've gotten a lot more than they thought they were getting and it can mess with them a little bit. Mm, okay. So a fruit, but protein big time, especially for women. I oh, know yeah. that protein is massive for us in this particular time um, as we're transitioning. For many reasons. I mean, one specific reason is the protein will really help regulate your blood sugar levels. And that's one of the vital components for, for burning off body fat. I agree 100%. And yeah, I, my, I was thinking about my lamb burger. We, I, lamb is fatty. I ain't going mm -hmm. I know it well, is. Well, it it's like, you know, most meats, it depends on the cut you get. 
because turkey has some fatty cuts and some lean cuts and so does chicken and so does beef, you know, even fish, you know, tuna, depending on when they're caught, if they're caught in their migratory season, they'll be, have a lot of fat on them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that's very prized too. Okay. So let's, so now we got a sense of breakfast and you're saying eat breakfast for sure. Yeah, that's one of the big mistakes that people make is they don't eat breakfast. This is America for you. Okay. We're, we're one of those countries that are most obese in the whole world. We skip breakfast. We have a tiny lunch and a huge dinner full of carbohydrates, alcohol, and dessert. And we have the dinner late at night before we go to bed. The body has nothing to do with all that energy. So it ends up storing it as fat. We have acid reflux. We don't sleep very well. We're tired the next day and it's a vicious cycle. Hmm. So what, good question on the, on the eating piece for dinner too. And I 100% agree with all of that is one of the things that you recommend besides shifting how we eat or what we eat at dinner is what time we eat. Yeah. There's a couple options here. There's a couple schools of thought. There's someone can focus on either one of two things or both. They can focus on how long to wait between eating dinner and going to bed, or they can calculate how long between dinner and when they're going to have breakfast. Okay. Some people like to have a full 12 hours between dinner and breakfast, which isn't a bad thing, but if you're going to be then having dinner at like eight or nine at night, for some reason, and you're going to have to wait till 9am to have breakfast, but you wake up at four 30 or five in the morning, I would advise more of a earlier dinner in that case so that you have a gap, but you can still start your eating early because that's one of the ways to spike your metabolism. It's one of the ways to put your body into the thermogenic state and then end the day earlier when your body doesn't need it as much. Okay, great. I agree with you. I, I was wondering if if both can be taken into consideration. In, in my research, one of the things I'm most concerned about is the body having the opportunity to really clean up shop, particularly the brain. And I know that we need about three hours minimum between our last meal and going to bed for our brain to have that opportunity to really clean things up. Yes, that's true. And then I know that clearly the later it gets at night, the more we're in that sleep, getting ready for sleep mode, we're very much in storage mode. There's no, where no one's running and working out. Like, at least not a lot of people I know at like nine o'clock at night, that's kind of the Netflix time or whatever. And so I would, you know, I would guess that the earliest that we can eat, the better. Like for me, I try to eat, I mean, the latest I want to ever eat is seven. I try to eat at like, like six. I tend to agree with you on that one. There's only one danger I see. And I don't agree with this, but I'll, just from my practical experience, I'll share. And this is like one of those one-offs. Yeah, if someone said, what's the latest I should eat? I would say shoot for six, no later than seven. And then I'll always get the thing. Well, I don't go to bed till 12 or one. Okay, well, you know, your body has circadian rhythms and I'll kind of go through the whole explanation about melatonin and how when the sun sets and it's dark, it impacts our body. It has to, we're mammals. We can't do anything about it unless we take artificial stimulants, which have other problems. But in that case, they say, well, if I eat at six, I'm starving because I'm still up. And that's the only risk that I see is if you eat too early and you're like, it's like five or six hours before you're going to bed for some reason, you're, you're a night owl and you get so hungry that you end up making a, a big mistake. Like you go in the pantry and raid the pantry or something. That would be the only exception I would make, but still I would recommend in that case to still have a good dinner around six, no later than seven. And then a specific planned snack 
that's going to give your body the right type of fuel that won't interfere with it going into its sleep cycle. Generally, that would be uh, certain types of proteins or certain types of fats. Question, quick question, because I'm so adamantly against this, the late night snacking, mainly because of the brain. I'm so mindful of, of, you know, so many of us that just, our brains are going down the crapper, you know, and um, would you, would it be advice? Because I always find that it's, it's really a matter of maybe we don't have the metabolic flexibility to shift from a, a glucose burning to, you know, fat burning at kind of in that five hour time. Because I feel like we should be able to not eat for five hours. At night, at least. It's not that we can't, it's mental normally, okay? So normally what happens is we slow down. People have a lot of stuff on their mind. They have a lot of stuff on their subconscious and they keep themselves busy during the day so they don't think of certain things. A lot of people, now we're going down a rabbit hole of emotional eating at this point, but a lot of people, as the night slows down, they're by themselves. They have nothing to preoccupy them. So their thoughts start running. And they either want to eat to avoid something or use as a distraction, or they're simply bored and they're not sure what to do. So they think about eating. Okay. And so in that case, my philosophy when it comes to my clients is, okay, if you were going to raid the pantry, obviously the best thing is not to eat, but if you're going to raid the pantry and you would have had ice cream or chips or something like that. If you can make a better choice, we're moving in the right direction. And I would imagine that you would agree that moving continually in a better direction and improvement is better than perfection. Yes, agreed, okay. That's kind of what this conversation is. It's like, yeah, we have an ideal and I'll give the ideal all day long, but if someone's like, I'm like, what's going on? You're eating potato chips or chips and salsa or something every night. And like, I can't not do it. You know, if we can move them into something that's better, maybe not perfect, but better then uh, I think we have a victory. Okay. Okay. Got it. So I always love to paint the picture of what optimal looks like. Clearly there's a little bit of giving take where I shine is discipline and focus. <laughs> 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 my husband, not so much. He's more about creativity, spontaneity. He do, he does do a little bit of late night snacking. I am throwing him under the bus right now. Uh -oh. Whereas I, I even last night, I was as I was heading to bed, I could hear him in the kitchen. I was like, mm. <laughs> okay. So th thank you so much for so you and I have definitely were in alignment in a couple different areas for sure. Oh yeah. Quick question, because I know people are wondering. You had spoken already into how we're making mistakes in terms of dinner, the dessert, the carb heavy, eating later and making it the big meal. And I'm not going to lie, probably one of my biggest areas of challenge is I've always, dinner's kind of the opportunity to finally get together with my, with my husband, right? And so that's kind of always been our kind of meal moment. And I know the best thing to do is if we could swap the big dinner meal for lunch, or I know you do more smaller meals, but like I, even ideally, especially like Ayurveda and, and what they've looked at, clearly at lunchtime, we're still in metabolic running mode, right? We're still, uh, we can, we still have an opportunity to burn calories. We're at dinner, not so much. So what is your recommendation if someone like myself still really values dinner as the main meal and willing to bring it down to an earlier time of the day, what are the foods that make the dinner list? How about that? <laughs> So one thing is to your point, you made an excellent point. Lunch should be the biggest meal. And if you imagine your metabolism and the way you burn fat and calories 
our bodies really look like a bell curve. They're kind of low when we wake up and they peak right in the middle of the day. And then they're on a steady decline to get ready for the sleep cycle. And so lunch is, is our golden window. If, if you're going to have a little bit of a sloppy meal, let's say, or something or a bigger meal, that's definitely the time to do it. However, most people are in the same boat you are. They're busy all day. The only time they have to slow down and, and in some cases to even prepare a meal, like a, a traditional preparation, is dinner. So I get that. That's a real concern. You can, <laughs> there's a couple layers here. We need to do what the Italians do. What? <laughs> <laughs> They eat a big lunch and they drink a bottle of wine with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but Italians, their big meal is usually lunch. Yeah. And they stay up, you know, they, they're, they're up pretty late out there. It's a whole different lifestyle. Uh, and they're a lot more active at night too. So, but here in America, on the traditional American lifestyle, we're running on fumes, we're burned out, we're pushing, we're burning the candle at both ends. We're, we're you know, desperate for sleep. And when we want more energy, we're struggling to lose weight. Dinner can still be a special time where you sit down with your family and you make it an amazing experience. But food doesn't have to be the experience. Food is only part of the experience. So you could be eating less, talking more, laughing, doing some games, making maybe after dinner, you do a little charades or so you know, make up some family activities or games, fine. So what's for dinner? I'm gonna a long answer for your question. A good lean protein, number one and a really large serving of vegetables. And this is where, this is where, if you're hungry, if you're still hungry, to add a healthy fat. I was gonna say, can I have my avocado now? Like when, when do I get to have it? Yes, I want you to, I want everyone to con consider this. Fats keep you full, but they don't really stimulate your metabolism a whole lot. The foods that stimulate your metabolism are proteins and carbohydrates, but you need to eat them in, in a certain way at a certain time and follow that food quadrant I went over. And when you do that, magic things happen. The protein and the carbs rev up your metabolism like throwing Kindle on a fire. And the, and the carbs allow the body to absorb all those amino acids in the protein to do its thing, what it's supposed to, which is rebuilding your body essentially from the inside out and maintaining your blood sugar levels and helping balancing the hormone levels in your body. There is something, Marisa, and I don't know if you're aware of this. I did two studies, two different studies. I was only aware of one. I dug a little bit deeper. There's two. And when I say studies, they have large sample sizes. They're done for at least a hundred days and they're double blind. But these studies showed that consuming a diet too high in fat for too long or consuming too low of carbohydrates for too long, both can cause hypothyroidism. Yes, I know this. Okay, so what's so I have seen more women in my 20 year history than ever before who are coming to me with thyroid problems and it's no accident, okay? Because they're eating diets that are full of fat, have zero carbs and very limited protein and the body is going, I, I we can't do this. Yeah, it is. No, it's definitely an epidemic. And then there's a couple, I mean, there's definitely other factors involved too. I think it's also, like you said, I love the phrase standard American lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, you know, we are, our genetics and our hormones were never meant, we, we never caught up to this modern lifestyle that we're living. So the stress is, is definitely a major component here. But I think that the way that we're eating is a massive stressor. Oh, absolutely. With the exception of what we talked about in the beginning, which is food sensitivities and certain foods that are like, quote unquote, instigators of chronic illness, 
you should not be restricting entire food groups or foods and not pulling them out. That's just not the way the body was designed. If you give your body the variety within the scope of the gut health and the autoimmune health, that's what brings the body to functioning optimally. Now, obviously you and I have a slightly different opinion about how often to eat. And I don't know that there's any black and white right answer, but I do know that if you take two opposing athletes on in the, in the planet, okay. And on one side, you have the leanest athletes in the world, which are bodybuilders and fitness competitors. Let's just, for the sake of this, talk about natural ones that aren't on steroids. Okay. Cause steroids do have a very unique impact on the body. And I know that. And, but, okay. But regardless, those are the leanest people on the planet. They know how to manipulate your body, their body fat percentages and, they know exactly how to, how to get lean. They eat oftentimes six or seven times through the day. On the other end of the spectrum, you have sumo wrestlers. They're some of the biggest and highest body fat athletes in the world. They routinely will only eat once or twice a day, generally in the afternoon, because they know that's the fastest way to put on weight, even if, and most of the time it is body fat. So if you look at that, yours, you know, eating three times a day is definitely good. It depends on a lot of factors to maximize the nutrient intake. And I'll just share my experience. I'll just share my experience. If I were to eat three meals a day, there's no way my body would be able to absorb the amount of food that I'm eating at one feeding because the amount of calories, the amount of protein, carbohydrates, and fats that I'm getting broken up into seven meals, each meal is about the maximum level that my body can assimilate per sitting, per feeding. So if I tried to cut that in half and go to three meals, there'd be so much excess that couldn't get assimilated. It would either be excreted or stored as fat. So in this particular example, for me, it wouldn't work. But for other people who are eating less and aren't pushing the upper limits of their assimilation, I can see where the three meals would be adequate. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think for me, the concern around the multi-meals is that oftentimes, especially if not working with a coach like yourself, Stu, is that it's a lot of emotional eating. It's a lot. It's not necessarily the, it's not the right, the, their foods, the wrong foods are in the wrong quadrants at the wrong times. And that's where I think we we end up getting into trouble where we start exhausting the body. We start exhausting the metabolism. You're exactly right. People start eating and snacking unconsciously and then they never give the body a rest. You know, when I eat my meals, there, there are specific times and they're at least two and a half hours apart because that's just hitting, like you said, the minimum digestion period, but it's different. You see, it's, it's different. And you're, you're right. Most people would be like, oh, I should eat small meals all day long. And one of the biggest mistakes that we haven't touched on, and by the way, let me just go over what we have touched on. The first mistake is eating carbs at night. You just shouldn't do that if you're trying to lose weight. And you shouldn't generally do that period because it, it makes it harder to sleep and your, your body has nothing to do with that energy. The second mistake that I see people making is they are skipping breakfast and they're starting eating too late and they're bogging down their metabolism. They're slowing their body down. And then the third mistake is snacking the wrong way. And I'll give you a prime example. This is common among women more so than men. I think because most men like eating meat, 
But women will come to me routinely and say, I, and they're, you know, in their late forties, early fifties, I can't do anything. I've tried, I'm eating fruits and vegetables all day long. I'm just on this rabbit diet and I'm eating and, and I'm not losing weight. And I'm like, well, let me look at it. Let me take a look. And this happened to one of my clients specifically. Her name was Anne. Okay. And she was like, been trying for three years. And she's like fit, but not quite where she wants to go. She works out every day. She comes to me. She's like, I- I'm eating perfectly. And I said, Ann, you're eating healthy. You are. You're eating. All the foods you're eating are healthy. But it's not just about healthy foods. It's the eating right for what you're trying to accomplish, not just eating healthy. And there's a difference there. What she was doing is she was having fruit by itself at multiple times. And what she didn't realize and what most people don't realize is even though fruit is a healthy food. It has the same impact on your body as eating a cookie. Yes, it does. The difference I know because I have a CGM on and I know that yes. for a fact. Yes, the difference is, yeah, f- f- fruit, you get more vitamins and minerals, cookies processed, et cetera. But the same impact on the body, it causes the body to store fat. It spikes your blood sugar. It, it's not good. And so all these people, a lot of vegetarians, vegans, and like I said, mostly women, they eat fruit and they're like, ah, wow, I'm eating fruit and vegetables. Why am I not losing weight? Well, this is one of the reasons. And that's mistake number three. Never, never, never have fr- fruit or any carbohydrate by itself. Mm, love that. You know, it's been so fascinating being 41, wearing the CGM and eating really, really, really healthy foods. And what has been, I, I've kind of just like, I've always known you've got to pair fruit with protein. You can't just let it do its thing. You know, fruit's going to hit the system. And especially like one of the most unsuspecting fruits that a lot of women or people don't know is grapes. Grapes will will spike your blood sugar and spike your insulin like nobody's business. So one of the most fascinating things to me has been, one, as a woman in my 40s, Stu, I'm not going to lie, I don't have a lot of metabolic flexibility. You and I could both wear a CGM and you could get a, you know, you may drink a a Coca-Cola which I haven't had since I was 22 years old, and I could have a grape, and <laughs> my <laughs> and my spike would happen way higher than yours. I think what would and and so a lot of that has to do with. I mean, I know our hormones are like naturally, our hormones are shifting. We become women become more insulin resistant over time unless they're really really mindful and they pivot what they eat, how they eat, when they eat, based on their changes at least for me, and it's been really fascinating to see it in real time, I rarely spike my ins- my glucose levels. I keep myself, I keep an optimal range of 75 milligrams per deciliter to 110 milligrams per deciliter, even when I'm eating. But I have to be really, really mindful. A lot of the strategies that you talked about today, I want to just pat myself on the back. I, g- I get to say that I'm doing them, <laughs> except for breakfast. I probably eat breakfast too late. Well, so- that's the whole idea, Marisa, is when you know what to eat, when to eat it, how much to eat, and how to combine it, and you don't overexercise, you, you do a right, the exact right prescription, you put your body in the thermogenic state. And what that means is your body starts burning fat constantly, constantly, constantly. You can reverse aging. You can normalize your hormones. I have women all the time that normalize their thyroid hormones. They normalize their blood sugar levels their cortisol levels, cholesterol levels, blood pressure levels, everything normalizes. And when that happens, the fat, it's like evaporating snow. It just essentially, it just goes away. But the benefit is you're never hungry. You don't have cravings. 
your mental clarity goes through the roof, your energy goes through the roof, and the body's like, hey, finally, I'm not starving. I can come out of my lockdown mode, my starvation mode, and start burning fat like I was designed to. Mm, I love that. A couple more questions for you. I would love to just quickly touch on exercise because I have a feeling you and I are aligned on this too, but (laughs) (laughs) hopefully, just kidding. Um, And so talk to me, what are some of the common pitfalls that you're seeing here as well? Yeah. Okay. Again, this is more common for women for whatever reason. And I specifically have, I've had clients like this all the time, but Liz comes to mind. Liz and so many other of my clients fall into this same trap. Liz was working with me and we were just getting phenomenal results. She was dropping two pounds a week of body fat, of body fat, every single week, like clockwork. At week five, it stopped. So she lost 10 pounds and it stopped. And I said, Liz, what have you changed? Because her and I were working out. So I knew our weight training workouts hadn't changed. She said, I haven't changed anything, I promise. I said, okay. We looked at her eating. Her eating hadn't changed. So I was like, hmm, are you doing anything different with your cardio? And she goes, well, not really, but I've started taking all these boot camp and spin classes. And I'm like, well, how long are the classes? She goes, 90 minutes. I'm like, well, what's your heart rate at? She goes, oh, I don't know. Somewhere around 160 beats per minute. I go, stop, stop, stop. I said, you need to go back. She was, she had been walking around her neighborhood with her husband for about 40 minutes daily. And I said, go back to that. She goes, what are you crazy? I'm burning way more calories now. I should be losing weight faster. I go, no, no, no. You're overstressing your body. It took, it took like a solid 30 minutes to convince her. And two weeks later, she dropped uh, another two or three pounds. And she was like, why? And I said, look, If you exercise too much, it's just like I said before, it's a prescription from the doctor. Not enough, you're not going to see results. Too much, you can die. Exercise won't kill you, but it does stress your adrenals. It is a stress. And like we said, the typical American lifestyle, we're already stressed. We are already stressed. We're already stressed. And then we add this exercise component. And if we go too far, as soon as we stress our adrenals, the cortisol levels go up. And once your body starts producing cortisol, all the other hormone production shuts down. Essentially, everything goes to cortisol because that's our survival hormone. So everything else goes out of whack. Our our thyroid, our our estrogen, progesterone, even testosterone, our blood sugar, everything goes out of whack. That's one of the worst things you can do. 100%. This, I mean, I was a victim of this. Um, not too many years ago. And um, do you ever recommend right at the time where I had hypothyroid? <laughs> Lo and behold, do you ever recommend? So a big, I, I'm a big proponent of women, you know, doing strength training. I, I want to maintain that muscle mass. I'm always so mindful about women losing muscle mass. Yeah. If you see, I don't know if you can see, there's something behind me. It's got three circles. One says nutrition, one says weights, and one says cardio. And when you get all those combined correctly, you're in the sweet spot. And that's where your body goes thermogenic. Like it keeps saying, if I had to rate it on importance, nutrition is by far the most important and then weight training and then cardio. Okay. Cardio is the least important way to burn fat, but oftentimes it's the most utilized, especially by women. 
weight training, there was a study done in the late 90s, biggest study that's ever been done at 54,000 participants, a hundred day study. And they were looking for the optimum exercise regimen for weight loss. It had men and women of all ages. What they found was the sweet spot for weight training. And I'll talk about cardio in a second. The sweet spot for weight training was only three days a week for about 30 minutes per session. What they found was four days a week. There was no observable added benefit five and six days a week. There was a noticeable hindrance. It actually backfired two days a week was significantly less productive than three days a week as was one day a week. So the sweet spot was three days a week with weights. Then they said, well, let's look at cardio. What about that? What they found was the other three days, three days of weights. And then the off days, if you, if you uh, slipped in between 30 and 45 minutes of cardio, in most cases, that was all an individual would need to maximize their transformation, their fat loss. And when I say maximize, I'm talking about 30 to 40 pounds of fat loss in a hundred day period. I'm not talking about just a, a 10 pounds overall. It's, it was a consistent 30 or 40. What they found was people who trained and only did cardio lost weight, but it was not just fat. A fair amount was muscle. So when they lost the weight, they looked soft and flabby. When someone trained with weights, they lost weight equally as, as fast, but they looked toned and tight and firm because they burned off body fat, not muscle. And they were able to tone the muscles, which helped put them into this thermogenic state. It sped up their metabolism. And with women especially helped bone density, tendon and lig ligament strength, and it was overall much better for health and longevity. Love that. Thank you so much for clarifying as well. And I'm actually surprised that the cardio was up to 45. I sometimes see women, anything past 30 minutes can really start to wear on them. And I think it's, it's individual. It was, but the cardio they were doing was low intensity cardio. Oh God, no, they, not Peloton. It wasn't <laughs> what it was. And, and this is funny. You know, I had a client named Jamie who was gaining weight all of a sudden. I said, what are you doing? She's like, I just got a Peloton. I'm doing it every day. I said, stop doing it. Stop doing the Peloton. I know you just bought that her, expensive bike, but stop doing her it. Her hips and her thighs were getting so big. I said, stop. I said, screw the instructor. I said, this is the heart rate I want you at. Don't go above this heart rate. I don't care if they call you out. And within two weeks, she was already dropping inches again. And she goes, this is so confusing. I said, this is why people struggle. It's, it's counterintuitive. And the best cardio a person can do for fat loss is walking. My clients walk 30 minutes, three days a week. They do weight training three days a week for 30 minutes, a total of, of three hours a week of activity. And they lose between 30 and 40 pounds in three months, constantly, consistently. You're trying to tell me to put away my Peloton, aren't you? Just kidding. <clears throat> <laughs> I do good. strength train. I weight train three times a week. Good to know because I was I was about to step up to four, and now I really appreciate that that study. And we walk every day. We we walk every day. We live on hills here, and so we're always walking. That's the first thing I do in the morning because I want to get that vitamin D. I want to get the nature. It's, I love love walking. Okay, the last question I have for you, besides you telling us where to go, check you out. I know I got a quick fire though, and we are we have. We have blown past our time, but whatever. It's just have such a fun conversation. Okay, what are the top five or even top foods that are on your no list? Oh. I just, sometimes we just need to hear it from somebody else. Okay, you know? um, let me give you the top five health foods that are not healthy. 
Okay. I love it. Yes. I'm going to say milk, even though that's like a freebie, but, but milk is not healthy, even though, even if you were not lactose intolerant and there were no sensitivities for, for cow dairy, milk has tons of sugar in it. They put in the, um, homogenization, which is bad for your arteries. So milk is not healthy at all. Any juices are not healthy. Juices are not, unless, okay, unless you have the Jack LaLanne juicer or whatever at home. But and you even have- then, like I, again, on this with the CGM, I have no fruit at all. Like we're talking about- I'm not cilantro. talking about fruit. I'm talking okay. about veggie juice. No, Jesse, even veggie juices will, for some women, at least for me, will spike my blood sugar. Just okay, well, pure juices. veggies. Let me just go then broad juices. Juices are bad. Okay, that's a, a top five bad health, unhealthy health food. We talked about fruit. Okay, so I'm actually going to lump that in there, especially any tropical fruit. Avoid that because that has tons and tons of sugar. Okay, another one, another one, any yogurt. Well, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to lump milk and yogurt. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm, these are too easy. I want to find something that people don't know about. Okay, pre-seasoned rice is an unhealthy health food because normally they throw gluten into it and the way they season it is not with good stuff. And well, this is kind of a weird one, but I'll throw this out in case anybody listening is in the trap. Veggie sticks are bad for you. They're not healthy, okay? It's false advertising. It's it's bad marketing. And if you have the choice between peanut butter or almond butter, always choose almond butter because peanuts aren't even a nut, they're a legume. And they're super inflammatory. And so many people have a sensitivity to them as well. Yeah, they have a lot of aflatoxins and all kinds of nasty. Agreed. But but what I'm hearing too, because I do love almond butter. And I got to be really mindful. Like you had mentioned, we don't need to add extra fats. We don't need to bring in fats to our to our diet. And so is there ever a time, I mean, I know where, where, where you said we could potentially get away with having almond butter, maybe at lunch maybe at dinner. <laughs> Here's what my rule of thumb is. Once a week, I, I I don't call it a free day because people have been conditioned when they hear the word free day to be like, I'm going all out. I'm going to the buffet. Going to Dairy and Queen. Going, yeah. You know, and I say as a free day, I call it just a, don't even think about it for one day. That means if one day you, you don't even eat much because you're not hungry, then don't, don't sweat it. If one day you want a little extra fats, you want some almond butter, then go for it. And then the other rule of thumb I have is if you're really hungry, you've eaten a a good portion of protein and and some good healthy carbs with that and a vegetable. And for some odd reason, you're still hungry, then you can have a little bit of fat. I'm talking a tablespoon maybe of almond butter as a way to prevent yourself from getting that over hunger before your next meal. And and that's the, those are kind of my two rules of thumb. So one day a week, I don't cheat like bad, but I will have like some sushi or I'll have a little bit of almond butter or something like that. And people are like, gosh, like you're, are you a robot? I'm like, well, I just know how bad I feel if I don't do it. I appreciate that. And I think a lot of people, I know, I, I always knew that sushi wasn't the best, but it definitely wasn't the worst, but my worst blood sugar spike was sushi. And like it went out the roof. It jumped 150 milligrams per deciliter. And I was like, ah, oh, um, and so I was just like, good to it's know, good to know. So, I mean, yeah, I love that idea of once a week, still within the framework of following what you're talking about, 
having that tablespoon of almond butter, like having that little, like you maybe, maybe you don't do all the things in the right order kind of a thing, but the inflammatory foods still stay off the table. Especially if you're really struggling with, with autoimmune or gut. I mean, look, some people are blessed. One out of a hundred are blessed. You know, they can have gluten, they could have dairy and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, wreck their body. But unfortunately, the majority of us can't do that. Now, I have a magic bullet for it, and I cheat a little bit because it works very well. But most people, you know, they just they cannot do that. And I had SIBO as a result of having some of these foods. And I, you know, figured out how to eat better for that. But also, I like I said, I have this little magic bullet that I use. <laughs> I will never uh, once ever go again without it. <laughs> now you're going to tell us, is it like a... a- Gluten supplement? <laughs> no. What it is, it's structured, structured silver. Ah, all right. Yeah. It's not nano silver and it's not, not colloidal silver. silver. It's structured silver. And that I can have any food and nothing happens to me. It's pretty awesome. And how often do you utilize this magic bullet of yours? So I have, it's a liquid. It's looks it's in water. Okay. And the structured means it's bonded to water. And that's important because then it doesn't stay in your body. It leaves after about 24 hours and it can destroy any fungus, bad bacteria or viruses. Okay. And that's important because it doesn't touch the good bacteria. It only hits, it's only strong enough to get the bad bacteria. Most people, if they had something like candida or leaky gut or SIBO, or other yeast infections that they didn't even know about, if they did this, would probably get rid of it in a matter of four to six weeks. That's what my experience was. I had SIBO bad. I couldn't even eat, I couldn't eat a potato. I couldn't eat avocado. I couldn't eat beans. I couldn't eat any of that without my stomach going nuts on me. And um, I'm ashamed to say, but I will admit this. I've been having the silver now for a few years. I take it two teaspoons twice a day. And I went out to lunch at a Mexican restaurant several weeks ago. I had beans, cheese, sour cream. <laughs> you had nachos? <laughs> no nachos, but I had no, no gas, no bloating, no drop in energy, nothing. Now, I don't routinely do that and I don't recommend doing it, but it was a, va- it was a, a night and day comparison to what I was like before. And the only thing I added was the structured silver. Mm, interesting. Oh. Well, thanks for sharing. Okay, so we'll do the quick question. There's five of them, the quick fire. You ready? Yeah. Okay, first one. What is the one thing you are deeply grateful for right now? I am actually grateful for my health. I have amazing health and an amazing body and I love it. And I don't mean that in a conceited way, but I am so grateful for it. Mm, love that so much. What was something you've done that made you feel extremely happy over the course of the last week? Oh, man. Uh, Well, we celebrated the 4th of July and we went all out and it was amazing. And we had one of my clients, 10-year-old son came over and he was in heaven. I think I just turned him into a uh, pyrotechnic. Very, very cool. Love it. Okay. Fireworks galore. Love that. Number three, what's one thing about you that surprises people? Oh my gosh. I'm such a dork. I, oh my gosh. My girlfriend says this all the time. If only people knew I walk around humming like uh, little nursery rhyme songs, just out of the blue. I watch Magnum PI teenage mutant Ninja turtles, the old Magnum PI. And she said, if people only knew. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Okay. What book or film has recently been a big impact on you and why? 
Oh my gosh. What book or film? Oh, oh, I just finished reading. I'm actually almost finished reading with the, the, the Silva mind control method. And if you haven't read it, you need to, it even talks about how to control your body. Oh my gosh. You just opened up a can word, how to control your body with your mind. You like even lose weight with using your mind, heal your gut, heal injuries, heal hormone levels with your mind. It's one of the most amazing books I've ever read. I love, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so glad I asked. It's my favorite question to ask. I put film in there because I know not everyone reads. So, but I'm a big reader. Okay, last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Oh man, you know what I would tell him? I'd say, you need to eat more, (laughs) a lot more. And here's how you do it. And the other thing I would say is everybody is insecure in this world. You need to just show up authentic and not worry about what other people think. Be authentic and and open and always walk around with an open heart. I love that. Stu, thank you so much. All right. So you have a masterclass that I know everyone's going to want to run to. It's the Fat Loss Blueprint. Can you tell me a little bit about what we're going to get? Yeah, I'm going to give all your listeners access to my three best resources. We have a, I have a masterclass, which goes into depth, what we kind of touched on today. I have a fat loss blueprint that they're all going to get. And then they can take the thermogenic quiz to see if they're putting their body into a thermogenic state or not. Mm, how many people fail that quiz? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. And I'm going to have the link in the show notes. Stu, honey, where else can we go and find you? Where do you want us to go check you out? So stuschafer.com, I'll spell my name, Stu, S-T-U, and then Schaefer is S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R. Instagram, Stu Schaefer. Facebook is like stu.schaefer.5. I couldn't get to Stu Schaefer, it's taken. So so that's where you can find me. And I'm happy to answer all emails, messages. I love interacting with everyone. Thank you so much for coming on. It's such a fun conversation. You've given us a lot of food for thought. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that was a fun conversation. And I think I got Stu to share a lot more of the nitty gritty that is in his secret sauce for how he has helped so many people, especially women, lose weight after the age of 35. I know that a majority of his clients are in their 40s and their 50s. Again, that's that time where so often we just start to have weight distribution changes and stubborn weight has a lot to do with our inability to get into that thermogenic state, which is what Stu talked all about today. Now, based on everything he shared, which I know was a lot, I definitely recommend going back and listening if, if there's some things that you missed. But I do recommend checking him out. He does have that masterclass that he talked about today. And he also has a fat loss blueprint and a thermogenic weight loss quiz. Personally, I think the masterclass and the blueprint are worth grabbing. The link is going to be in the show notes for this episode. Go and check him out, especially if what he was talking about resonated with you. I know for me, although again, we had a little, a couple little things that we disagreed on, but for the most part, I felt like he knew exactly what he was talking about. Well, I want to say thank you so much today for listening into the Essentially You podcast. As always, this show is about providing tools to rock your hormones and to help you feel amazing in your body. If there is someone in your life that needs to hear this today, yes, take a moment, screenshot it, send it on over to them, or even better, share it on Instagram or wherever you love to share on social. Definitely tag me up at Dr. Marisa and leave a hashtag hormone literacy or hormone CEO. Coming up next, I've invited Ashley Bernardi to really share how to process your mess. 
with a lot of different tools because let's be honest, ooh, the triggers, the old patterns, the beliefs, right? All the mess, the stress, all of that. We can get so the reactivity, you know what I'm talking about, and get caught up in it. So she's got a lot of modalities to help us move through that because let's be honest, it isn't serving us. So definitely tune on in when this new episode comes live. Until then, have an amazing, amazing holiday season. 